Good morning, Cross Point Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. As our parents make their way out, I just want to uh, kind of start off this morning with a couple of announcements and um, uh, just uh, again say thank you and happy Mother's Day to everybody who uh, is a mother here. And uh, we're just so excited to be here today. If you have your bulletin and you look inside it, there's this uh, What's Coming Up great area. Almost every single one of those announcements have to do with family ministry at Cross Point uh, this summer. We have a lot of exciting things uh, coming up and uh, in store. And so I, I actually don't have enough time to go over everything. I just want to direct your attention there. But I did want to mention uh, two things that I'm really excited about. Uh, one is our uh, fifth grade adventure weekend. If you uh, in here, if you have a child who is uh, coming up into middle school, maybe you've been wondering what is that transition going to look like? Uh, this will be that first invitational event we'd love for you guys to be uh, a part of. And so uh, there's going to be, a, uh, we have, actually have a table out in the lobby um, if you guys want some more information about that, and uh, you can go and sign up and all that good stuff, but it's going to be a really great opportunity for uh, both your middle school or your rising sixth grader and you to come and be a part and, and just kind of be, uh, learn what middle school and what a student ministry at Cross Point Church has uh, to offer. Um, another really exciting event is our Family Fun Day, uh, and that's uh, coming up the June 10th, and so that's going to be a thing for our whole entire church. We encourage uh, we want everybody to come. We're gonna, it's going to be at uh, Twin Lakes in Lake Park, just a few uh, miles from here. We're going to have a lake day, and so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys will come and join us, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, everything we have. We have so many things to look forward to with middle school camp and high school camp, and, and uh, uh, just this, this summer is going to be really exciting for us and as we go into the rest of the year. And so um, before we go any further, I just want to say one more prayer uh, as we begin, just um, and, uh, and then we'll dive right into the word, okay? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. We thank you for this time we have to spend together, Lord. We thank you, Father, for children and the gift that they are. And Father, for the, the blessing that you, that you uh, allow us to be stewards of, of your children. And so, Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of that, Lord. And as a church, we would come along beside those uh, and help them in every way that we can. Father, I pray that you would just be with us this morning. As we go into the rest of this time, Lord, we open your word and we look into your word and we ask, how now should we live, Lord? And so, Father, I pray that you'll be with us, that your spirit would be amongst us, that you would give us understanding of your word. And Father, I pray that you would just, uh, in everything that we say and do this morning, that you would be glorified and magnified. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. So we're going to be continuing our series, uh, Faith with a Face, this, uh, w- this week. And James chapter 2 is where we're going to be. You know, the interesting thing about doing expository preaching, uh, and expository just means basically verse by verse going through, and we've been going through uh, James uh, the last couple of weeks, is um, we end up talking on Mother's Day about Rahab the prostitute. And so, uh, uh, so don't draw any conclusions other than that's where God brought us to today, I think. And so, but I do think it's very important. I think this is a very important uh, passage uh, that we're going to talk about. It's only three uh, short verses, but I think in these verses, God has something very uh, big in store for us, especially in regards to as we continue to talk about how our faith and our actions and how our lives, uh, how all these things, how they intersect and interact with each other. And so uh, I'm really excited about that. So I just want to start in verse 24, James chapter 2, verse 24. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
So, so these, three, these three verses right here, very small passage this morning, but I think there's a couple things that, that we can and, and should unpack. And the first thing I want to look back again at verse 24 is, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You, you know, what's interesting about this, uh, this verse right here is I, I'm sure there's some Bible nerds in here that are just kind of wringing their hands. They're so excited about these types of passages because it gives them an opportunity to, to do some armchair uh, you know, uh, what do you call armchair uh, coaching on Monday morning to have some very long conversations about how we handle this passage. And, you know, uh, Pastor David shared a little bit last week and, and talked about how this passage can sometimes be controversial to people. It can seem contradictory between what James has to say about faith and works and what Paul the Apostle has to say about faith and works. And, and here, it, here it is again coming up and talking about this, this idea of how these things work together and... Um, you know, I think uh, Pastor David did a really good job uh, of explaining how that worked last week. And, um, but, but even again, this, this passage and this, this concept comes up. And, you know, what's interesting to me is I think about this, uh, when we talk about faith and works and we talk about faith without works and so on and so forth, you know, sometimes I'm reminded of a doctor and, uh, and what a doctor does. Because when we have this conversation that, that we're having, we have to understand that there's no contradiction here. There's no there's no uh, James and, and Paul are now at odds. I mean, here's the thing about James and Paul. If uh, James and Paul were at odds, they, you would know about it. You know, Peter and James, or Peter and Paul were at odds at one point, and there was a conversation about it. And it's recorded in Scripture, and it was really awkward to, to, to read. So I can't imagine how awkward it was to be there, you know, as, as Paul is kind of calling Peter out one day for something um, that he said or that he did. And so, so first of all, we see that, that there's no... There, there's no um, uh, contradiction or no conflict between these two. But secondly, when we see this passage, we have to understand that what Paul is talking about and what, and, and what James is talking about, even though they're using the same exact word that justified that, and talking about justification by faith and, and that sort of thing, even though he's using that same word, and this is the funny part, even though they're using the exact same person as an illustration, you know, they both refer to Abraham as their illustration of faith with works and faith without works. And yet, and, and then the, there's a third thing to consider here, is, and this is ultimately the thing for me, is they ask a different question, I think. They're asking and answering a different question between Paul and James. But when we think about this, you know, I think about a doctor and uh, how a doctor sees many patients in a day, and a doctor may see one patient in a day and says, you know what you need to do? You need to go home, you need to rest, and you don't have to do anything else. That's all you have to do. You have to be safe, and the knowledge that what you have done so far, that's all you have to do and, and rest in that. And then in another patient, a doctor may uh, talk to them and say, you know what you need to do? You need to go home, you need to get up, and you need to go out and work out and, and, and work out hard, you know? And so would we call that doctor a bad doctor for giving one diagnosis to one person and another, another diagnosis to another person? No, I'd call that a good doctor. You know, for the one person who has just recovered from a surgery, and needs to, to heal and recover, he's telling that person to go home and rest and rest in the, and, and work on that part of your life. And for the other person who's morbidly obese, the doctor is saying to him, you need to go home and work out and figure this out before it's too late. And the reality is that's what Paul and James, they're talking about two different questions. Paul is asking the question, how is a person justified before God in the ultimate sense? And then James is asking the question, how is a person's claim to have faith justified? 
And, and, and I know that's maybe kind of getting into the weeds here, but I think the most important thing to understand here is that both of these people use Abraham as an example. You know, Abraham was justified by God in Genesis chapter 15 before he ever did anything. Before he ever did anything, Abraham was justified by God in front of God. And then a few chapters later in, in uh, Genesis chapter 20, then the commandment is given to, by God to his servant Abraham to go and take his son and sacrifice him on the altar. You know, the reality, that's what James is talking about here. He's saying that, that God already knew. Do you think that God in James, in James chapter 15, he was uncertain of whether Abraham would go through or follow through with what he was going to do? He knew. But here's the reality. We didn't. We didn't know if he would go through with it. And that's why this happens. This happens, God allows these things to happen in Abraham's life, not just for Abraham, but for God's glory and for us as an encouragement to us as an explanation, as a justification for us so that we can be emboldened to have faith in God and to, and to go forward and do amazing things and, and do things that you would never think that you could do. But with faith, you could do these things. In the next verse here in verse 25, says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? I, I love how James, he puts a face on faith again. You know, last week, Pastor David shared about, and, he, and, and James used this illustration of, of Abraham. He puts a face to faith so that we can see it, so that we can know a person and understand that this is not just a, an exercise in thought, but this is real life for people. And he does it again with Rahab the prostitute. And I love, um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 31, it tells us a little bit more about the story. It says, by faith, and that's important, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so here's the thing. In order to kind of get the whole story of what's happening here with Rahab uh, the prostitute, we have to kind of go back to Joshua chapter 2, uh, chapters 2 through 6. And we're not going to read all of that. That's a lot. But, but, um, but here, here's what was interesting is I was reading and kind of studying this week and and really just preparing for this, man, I got excited about reading through Joshua and just reminded of what God had done in the life of Joshua and all the Israelites in that time. And, and just seeing this over and over again, I think was, was really, really important. And so, um, and, and here's the thing, when you read through uh, Joshua chapter two, verses, chapters two through six, you see this story of the, uh, uh, God has sent Joshua out and into the land, the promised land, right? And he said, the first thing you're going to do is take the city of Jericho. And we have to understand that the city of Jericho is massive. It's a powerhouse of a city. I mean, I don't know if there's anything we can kind of compare it to. Maybe it'd be like kind of sieging New York or something like that, you know, and taking over New York. And there was this insane wall built, this fortified wall built all around the city. And Joshua sends in. And before, and, and this is what he says. He says, okay, in just a few days, I'm going to help you with, I'm going to go with you and we're going to take this city down. He says, what you're going to do is you're going to march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, you're going to holler. <laughs> Can you imagine the faith that it took? All right, guys. So what we're going to do is, can you imagine explaining that in that staff meeting? You know, <laughs> what we're going to do, you guys, is we're just going to walk around the city and for seven days straight. And then on the seventh day, we're going to holler. And then uh, everything's going to fall down and we're going to take over the city. You know, I mean, just the stories of faith that go throughout this uh, passage. And then we see in, in the midst of all this that's happening, before this happens, 
Joshua sends in some uh, spies into the city to kind of uh, to, to map out and plan out what's going to happen after the walls crumble and after the walls fall. And they come across this prostitute, Rahab. And so we see in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, before the men lay down, uh, uh, let, let me fast back up just a little bit. Uh, these men, they, were be, they had been kind of seen and they were being pursued by the, uh, the guards in Jericho. And so they were in a danger or risk of being killed. And so Rahab, the harlot, she... She hid them from the, uh, from the soldiers and from the king's soldiers. And, uh, and even when the king's soldiers said, I know they're here, you know, she, she kind of told this story and redirected them so, so as to protect them. So in verse 8 it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And this is, the, this is my favorite part. It says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above, and then on the earth below. And so not only, does, not only does Rahab, does she protect these men and she hides these men, she also makes one of the most amazing proclamations of faith that you've never heard of. You know, you have this woman, and you have to understand, right, this woman, her name was Rahab, right? Ra, her, the first part of her name, is named after an Egyptian god, the god Ra, you know? And there's this, that she was born, she had no concept, no, no concept of who the, the God of the universe was, of who the uh, Israelite God was. You know, she was raised as a pagan. Obviously, she had fallen into prostitution as a lifestyle and as a living. And so this woman was far from God. But she had heard about what God had done, and she made this amazing proclamation of who God was. He says, your God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. What an amazing acknowledgement of who he is. And she goes on, after this, she goes on to beg for the life of her mother and her father and her brothers and sisters and all who were with him. And man, did God deliver. Rahab, this is the amazing thing, is, is Rahab was blessed with new life. Rahab was blessed with new people and a new home. Look with me in uh, uh, chapter, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 24. It says, And they burned the city with fire and everything in it only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she, and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You know, you know the amazing thing about this? There's a couple of things to think about, okay, that's so amazing about this is on that seventh day, after, after the walls were destroyed, God, he so richly blessed Rahab with so many things. The very first thing with that sometimes we don't think about is that God blessed Rahab with life. And I'm not talking about eternal life. That, that part comes as well. But, but her physical life, he blessed her with her physical life. Think about this for just a moment. What did I say was the plan? The plan was to walk around the walls for seven days. And on the seventh day, shout, right? And then the walls would fall down. Well, do you know where uh, Rahab lived? In the wall, inside the wall. 
So God said, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to knock all these walls down. But if you read through Joshua chapters 2 through 6, you see that, that Rahab says, well, that's where my home is. And, and even the people, they said, listen, all of your people, your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, and everybody that you have that's with you, if you stay in this one place, you'll be safe. Now, if you step outside of these doors, we are not going to be held accountable for your blood. But inside this place, you'll be safe. So all of these walls were tumbled and knocked down except for this one little place where Rahab and her family lived. I, I, th- that's just, th- to me, such an interesting and a beautiful picture of God's deliverance physically as well as spiritually. And so we go on to see that, that uh, this is what's happening, that, that he didn't just bless her with life, he blessed her with eternal life. And not only did he bless her with eternal life, but he blessed her with a family and a home. I love what it says there. It says, Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day. In other words, these people, they didn't just say, okay, well, you helped us out, and so we're going to help you out. We're not going to kill you, and so you get on your way, and we'll see you later. No. They welcomed her in and her family. They welcomed them into the family of God, and they said, thank you for, and they lived and became a part of this, a part of this family. And not only that, but we see this, and it goes on to say, you know, this prostitute, she went on to marry salmon, like the fish. Never see that name in a baby dedication. And salmon and, and, and uh, she bore a son named Boaz. You guys know Boaz? Heard of Boaz before? Boaz and Ruth, they bore a son named Obed. Another good one. And Obed bore a son named Jesse. And Jesse bore a son named David, who we know as King David. And of course, from the lineage of King David came a little child from Bethlehem named Jesus, Emmanuel. You know what's crazy to me is that that God, He gave to Rahab the harlot a lineage that came and delivered to us our very Savior, Jesus Christ, to us. Through her. What an amazing picture of God's blessing upon her because of her faith, because of her trust, because of her submitting to God. Look with me in verse 26 of James chapter 2. This is the last kind of thing I want to, point I want to make here. So as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we've come full circle And here it is again, faith and its undeniable lack of separation from works. And I'm reminded of what Paul said um, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a very popular passage. Many of us know this verse, and it talks about uh, Paul. Paul is, is essentially, he's summing up all of his doctrine and theology about faith and about works and about salvation and about how it all works together. He's summing it up in Ephesians chapter 2. And oftentimes, this is the funniest part to me, is as he sums this up, we love to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, but we sometimes leave out verse 10. So this morning we're going to read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen? And he goes on to say in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. You know, I'm reminded of what the psalmist says. He says that before we, before we even knew God was 
working and knitting us together in the womb. We are His workmanship, pieced together in secret by God. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, what's interesting is when we read James chapter 2 and we read Ephesians chapter 2, these these two passages sound very similar. They don't sound at odds with each other, are they? It paints this picture, and, and there's another thing I think that's really important to point out here. Did you hear it repeated twice? For the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What was that? Dead. Anytime you see repetition in Scripture, you better pay attention. I mean, when we look at this passage here, I think what we're seeing is a terrifying reminder, a terrifying warning that comes from God. C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but dead people live. And that is so true, amen? I mean, that, 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 is, that is what God came to do in our lives But the reality is, that's not what we do. We try to make bad people good. Bad people stop doing bad things and do good things, and then you're good. That's the trap that we fall into, and we forget that it's not about bad to good. It's about dead to alive. God didn't just take me as an individual, a bad person, no question about it, and make me into a good person. God took someone who was spiritually dead, and turned me into someone who is spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. We just read that passage in Ephesians. It says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what God is doing in this. But the reality is, if you go from bad to good without, without Christ in the middle of it, you will be D-O-A. Dead on arrival. So here's the thing, you guys. Three verses. And I come to this place where I have to ask myself a very important question. I do it every time I do it with you guys. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you guys. Some of you, if you're visiting with us for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about? I have to ask myself the question, so what? And I don't mean that in some sort of irreverent way. What I have to ask myself this question is, how do these verses apply to me? How does, how does a passage about a prostitute woman 3,500 years ago, how does that apply to me, Michael, father of three, husband, family pastor? How does that mean something to me? Here's the so what for me, you guys, whenever we look at this. I want to look back for just a second at verse 25. This, this part has stuck with me for as long as I've known about it. Verse 25, it says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. And I want to read another passage, Joshua chapter 2, in verse 1. This is the introduction to Rahab in Scripture, all the way back from the beginning. Her first introduction it says, In Joshua the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. 
even in their reward for her service to the people, in, in chapter 6, we read this just a minute ago, it says they burned the city with fire and everything in it. And in verse 25 it says, but Rahab the prostitute. Even in Hebrews chapter 11, this is known as the hall of faith. You know, we have this amazing thing like the baseball hall of fame, right? And, and amazing players are inducted into it every year. We have this football hall of fame and amazing players are inducted into it every year. And we kind of have this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And it talks about all these men and women who, who displayed great faith over, over the years. And this is Rahab who's inducted into this, into this hall of faith, if you will. Chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute. You know, we, uh, we have, we're talking about this hall of faith and these different men and women who displayed such amazing faith. And, you know, we talk about ones like Abraham, right? And we elevate him and we lift him up and we say, man, look at this man who displayed amazing faith. I mean, we even write songs about it, right? Father Abraham and many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you didn't grow up in church, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you did grow up in church, this song is going to be in your head all day long. You're welcome. We don't sing songs about Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> Had many. Right? Daddy, what's the prostitute? Go ask your mom. Happy Mother's Day. We sing songs about Abraham, but we don't sing songs about Rahab the harlot. You know, for, for and I just read almost every single passage in Scripture that talks about Rahab, and you know, almost every single time she is referred to as Rahab the prostitute. And I, and I have to ask myself the question, why? For 3,500 years, she's been referred to as Rahab the prostitute, and I can imagine for the next 3,500 years, if Jesus don't come back, please come back, Jesus. She'll be referred to as Rahab the prostitute. You know, I have two boys, and I have a little girl. She just turned two not too long ago, and I love having boys. Boys are fun and exciting, and we do stuff together, and we have truck talks, and we have bro code, and we... And we do all these things together. And then, and then God interjected this, this little girl into, into our lives just recently. And, and it's one of those things where I, I, you know, I have boys. I know how to handle boys. They're fun. I have the same stuff they have. You know, it's like when I'm changing Jillian's diaper, I just quick as I can change it because I don't even know how any of that works, you know. And it's just so many things about her that I don't understand, that I don't know. But in, in the spite of all of that, I have all these amazing dreams for her and a vision for her life. I, you know, we, we bought this shirt that uh, it says, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a princess. And then princess is scratched out and says astrophysicist. I love that shirt, you know? 
I want her to be a, a, a doctor or a lawyer or an astrophysicist. Anything she wants to be, anything. Anything but a prostitute. That is not the dream and the vision and the hope that I have for her. That's not how I want her to be known to her fellow citizens, to her family, to her friends. But that's how Rahab is known. And I have to ask myself the question, why? Why does she have this condemning, this damning label? I would never want that for my daughter. But I think God makes it really clear. If you think about it for just a moment, God makes it really clear. You know, I've, I've heard people over the years, and even as I was studying this past week for this passage, I kind of brushed back up on and saw these different theories and these different ideas. People try to take the title of, of Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute, and they try to diminish it. They try to lessen the sting of the label. You know, they try to explain, well, you know, back in those days, uh, it, you know, she was, uh, Harlot was more like a, an innkeeper with benefits. I mean, here's the thing, you guys. Not only is that bad theology and just plain right dumb when you just read the simple reading of the scripture, here's the most important thing is when you take away that label from Rahab, you take away something that from her and from us, something that God gave her. He gave her a label to prove to the world and to give to the world hope. Hope. Rahab was a harlot and God saved her and she left her sin behind. No, make no mistake about it, she left her sin behind, but she carried her label with her long after she was gone. And God used that label to reach people for Jesus. God has used that label for 3,500 years to reach people for Christ as an example of what God can do in someone's life. Here's the interesting thing. This is the so what, you guys. My story is no different than hers. I'm not a prostitute, but I have my own label. And I know you do too. And I know... I know some of you guys, you've had this label for years and you do everything you can to lessen the sting of the label and you don't want to talk about the label. You don't want to talk about your past. You don't want to talk about who you were. Who, how can you tell people about Jesus save me, Jesus save me, Jesus save me? How? From what? You save Rahab from prostitution. Save me from addiction. Maybe he saved you from alcoholism. You know, we, we, we have these things and, and, and it's not just us all throughout Scripture. Peter was a dull, he was labeled a dull and unlearned fisherman. <laughs> Radically transformed by Christ. Gideon was a coward and a wimp. No other way to explain it but a wimp. He was the, the smallest tribe, he was a member of the smallest tribe and the smallest man in the smallest tribe. And when God found him and called him mighty warrior, you know what he was doing? He was hiding in a hole. He was trying to thresh wheat, which if you know anything about threshing wheat, you cannot do in a hole. He was doing it because he was scared. He was a wimp. David was a murderer. And an adulterer. 
and a man after God's own heart. See, if we don't own our labels, we can't fully declare the glory of God in our lives. Amen? If we don't own our labels, we can't fully declare the glory of God in our lives. I'm an alcoholic changed by the power of God. I'm an addict transformed by the power of God. Yes, I've left my sin in the past, but the label remains. And we should be proud of it. We should own it. You talk to anybody that's in Celebrate Recovery or going through a recovery program, they will introduce themselves as just that. My dad, he smoked for 25 years. And one day he just felt convicted by it and said, no more, and he quit. And then two years later, he quit again. He quit again. And he quit again. But finally one day, he was done with it. And I still ask him from time to time, I still ask him from time to time, how's it working? He said, oh, I could really use a cigarette right now. You know, we, we want to leave the sin behind, and we should, but don't get me wrong. You and I both know that sin continues to pursue us. This body of flesh, this cape of flesh that we wear till the day that we die and we're released from this is going to be in hot pursuit of us. But that doesn't mean we can, that we have to just throw away that label. Use what God has given you. You know, many of us, the label that we should have and should acknowledge, you know, some of us could say, I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic or I'm a vengeful person filled by compassion by the Spirit of God. I'm a gossip. Oh. How about this label? I'm a runner. I run from God. Just like Jonah, you know, Jonah, he ran from God, right? He was told to go and preach to the Ninevites, and he said, nope, and he ran the other way. And then God ran him down and swallowed him with a huge fish, and he was in the belly of that fish for three days, which is insane to think about. I mean, how do those days toll out? They must have seemed like eternity. And then even after he spit out on the shore and he goes and preaches to the Ninevites, he still continues to run from God. Maybe not physically, but in his heart, he's still angry at God. He's a runner. I'm a runner. Probably some of you in here are a runner. You run from God. That is the label that we have. But here's the most amazing thing about that. Jesus, the Son of God, is a faster runner. Amen? Jesus is a faster runner. So this is the so what, you guys. In just a few moments, we're going to close and we're going to have an, an opportunity to sing and to pray and to worship God. And I think that most of us can fall, you know, despite what this generation, we hate to be labeled, right? We hate to be labeled. We want to just do whatever we want to do and don't fit into any labels and blah, 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 blah. The reality is I think a lot of us fall into one of these three categories this morning. Maybe you find yourself in this place. Maybe you find yourself like Rahab. I mean, you think about for just a moment what it takes to become a prostitute. What sort of evil, abusive things had to happen to you in your life to be set on a path and to walk down a pathway and to live a lifestyle in this destructive and abusive place. 
and you're like Rahab and you're caught in this sin and you're caught in this place and you don't even have a concept of who God is. Maybe it's a mistake that you're here today in your mind. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I have done too many things. I have gone too far. I've done too many things that have separated me from God. There's no way back. Don't listen to that lie, you guys. Listen to the truth of Rahab and her story. She left her sin of prostitution behind. She continues to carry the label and she does it to provide hope. There is hope for you. Not only only can God save your life, physical and spiritual, but God can give to you a new family and a new home. That's what this place can be for you. God, He doesn't just save us and then just send us out into the world like a, a shot into the dark from a rocket. He puts us in the midst of community where we can be fostered and encouraged. And and you say to yourself, well, my family, they tortured me. My family, they hurt me. My family, they destroyed me. That's why I am who I am today. Well, God has another family in store for you. God has a faith family. I can promise you, they just as messed up. (laughs) I'm just as messed up. But there's hope. Maybe you've been coming here today, and last week, and the week before, and the week before that, and every week, week in and week out, maybe you find yourself in this place that you're just coming here and you're just checking off a box. You're warming up a seat for us. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You think that you can just stop doing bad things and start doing good things and be made right with God. When you don't understand that that's not how it works, you are spiritually dead. Even if you go to church every single Sunday, maybe that's where you find yourself because you are apart from a relationship with Christ. This is just a thing you do. Can I encourage you? There's hope for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you do know Jesus. And you know him very well and you have a relationship with him, but there's this secret. There's this secret label that you have. That you think because you're a Christian that you are supposed to have everything together. You think because you're a Christian that you're not supposed to be messed up, that there can't be anything wrong with you, that you can't come to your friends and to your family and tell them, you know what, I am toe up from the flow up. I need help. Maybe you're a believer in Christ this morning. Because we do this to ourselves as Christians, right? We just kind of come in and we pretend everything's fine. Everything's fine. We post all these amazing pictures on Facebook, but on the inside, we are hurting. We're in need of help. We put our best foot forward and our best fake face forward. We don't, have to have, we don't have the nerve to admit. But what if, what if for just a moment that we considered it's better to be healed than hidden? Maybe you're struggling with mental illness this morning. It's a label that you don't want to wear. 
wear it own it it is not a sin it is a label that God has given you it is a picture for you and for your life it is what God wants to use in you and through you as a picture of hope for those that struggle Maybe you're struggling with addiction to pornography here and you think to yourself, well, how can I call myself a Christian and do all these things and look at these things in darkness and in secret and you walk, or you walk around perpetually ashamed of yourself? That's me. Maybe you could just say, I have an addiction. Whatever, whatever the response in the next few moments, we have an opportunity to respond to a mighty and living God. What did Rahab say? You are this, your Lord is the Lord God of the heavens and the earth below. We have, guys, an opportunity to come before the Lord of the earth and the heavens. And maybe that's out in your seat, on your face, prostrate like a dead person <laughs> because God has just done. You are so thankful. You, I don't know. Maybe that's lifting your hands and praise and worship and, and singing with everything you have because you are so thankful where God has taken you from that you are Rahab, Rahab the harlot. And you've left that sin, but you carry the label. Maybe you're lost and you don't know Jesus. But we all have business to do with God this morning, you guys. We all have an opportunity to come before the God of heaven and earth.